Good morning, Oldham Lane Church of Christ. It's good to have everyone here this morning as we take a look uh, into, the, into the Word of God. Psalm 122.1 says, that, uh, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It's good to be here. And no matter what's going on outside, Psalm 91.1 says that when you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, you will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I don't know about you, but the last few days, any place that you can get a little bit of shade, it feels pretty good. Uh, but the shadow of the Almighty, it brings not just temporary, but eternal relief. There was a story uh, one, uh, about a boy one night that was being put to bed by his father. Uh, five minutes after the little boy went to bed, you could hear the father heard the little cry, Dad, and the father, being patient right now, uh, says, What? Uh, can I, I'm, I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a, a cup of water? No, you had your chance. It's lights out time. Five minutes later, Dad, what? A little bit more perturbed this time. Uh, little boy says, can I have a, a, a cup of water? I'm thirsty. I told you no. And if you ask again, I'm going to come in there and you're going to get a spanking. Five minutes later, Dad. Dad's a little perturbed, knowing what he's going to have to do. And he says, what? The boy says, when you come in to spank me, can you give me a drink of water? <laughs> this morning, we're going to take a look at a woman who was just as thirsty as that boy after bedtime. She thought she was thirsty for water, for physical water from the well, and was willing to come out in the middle of the heat of the day to quench her family's thirst. But Jesus realized that this was not what that was all about. So let's take a look and see what Jesus and the rest of the Bible have to say about this thirst and what quenches this thirst. In John chapter 4, verses 5 through 15, we see a contrast between the, the, the stories of, of, of how the, the author is trying to paint a picture between the contrast of, of the old law, the old covenant, and the, and the new covenant. As John is trying to convince the, the new believers that Jesus is worthy to follow. And he, he shows specifically here um, that the paradigms and traditions of Jewish society are not the way that you should be going, but you should be following after Jesus. He goes from conversing with an educated, powerful, prestigious man, Nicodemus in chapter 3, to, talk, to, to Jesus talking to an outcast an unlearned, a self-conscious woman. And when you combine these two passages and Jesus' conversation with Jesus, it makes an important spiritual point that the gospel is for everyone. No matter where you are in life, no matter where you are in the world, the gospel is for you. Specifically, Jesus is for you. And Jesus can reach each person no matter where they are at exactly the way that they need to be reached. So let's take a look at verse 5. Uh, backing up a little bit from where James uh, began the reading, let, let's, let's do a little bit of setting here. 
in verse 5, and we see that he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. This was a setting that's important. Because in Genesis chapter 33, we see a little bit of background that, that Jacob had indeed uh, just dug these wells. And when he came back and was trying to reunite with his estranged brother Esau. Then in Genesis 48, uh, Israel would, uh, Jacob would give this piece of land to his son Joseph. But for Jesus to be here now in the region of Samaria, in the country of Israel, is unusual. This was the, because this was the land where Samaritans were settled. And the Samaritans were half Jewish and half Gentile. And so they were reviled by most Jews. In fact, they, they disliked them so much that, and they didn't even want to be in their same area of them because they didn't want to take a chance that they might have to interact with these people. So they would go and they would cross over the Jordan River, go up the east side of the Jordan River, and then come back across the Jordan River to make two river crossings rather than having a chance to take a, that they might meet one of these Samaritans. But Jesus was here on a divine mission. He was here for a different reason. In verse 6, we see a little bit different part of, of what Jesus is doing here. Because he was wearied from the journey. Jesus was fully, completely God and yet he was fully, completely human as well. He experienced the same struggles as other men. He had to battle spiritual issues like all men, as we see in Matthew chapter 4. And here we see that he had to put up with the human body's limitations. He was wearied from the journey. When Christ spoke about being weary, he could speak from personal experience. He knows us. He's just like us in the sense that his body got tired too, but he knew the purpose and the intent that he was here for. Now on the other half, we see, the, we see that it's here at the, in the middle of the day, the sixth hour of the day. That means uh, probably that it was, that's probably going to be about noon. At, if you, if once we leave here in the service, you're going to realize how hot it is here at noon. Uh, right now we're in air conditioning because we're in West Texas. But imagine walking around in, in noon carrying a large water jug to, from, the, from the middle of town out a couple of miles to where we're going to be doing this, carrying it in the middle of the day, uh, and then having to carry it back now full with water for your family's needs for the, for the rest of the day. Not just uh, most most of the women would come in the both the morning and the evening, but if she's coming here in the middle of the day, she's probably only coming here once. So she has to carry enough water back with her family for, uh, for the entire day uh, in this one trip in the middle of the day. Not something that she probably is doing by choice, but given her a moral lifestyle that we see in verse 18, the other women in town probably did not welcome her. And that's why she was here drawing water alone at less ideal times. Now we see here in ver beginning in verse nine, or verse seven through nine, Jesus' request uh, that he that he gave to her: "Give me a drink." This was surprising for several reasons. First, in that era, men and women didn't talk to each other, uh, especially if they weren't related. But even more so, if there wasn't even a business relation, this was a complete stranger that was asking her for a drink of water. 
Second, the woman in question was a Samaritan. Now, we, we, I mentioned earlier that they, were, that they were ethnically diverse and different from the Jews, but they were not just ethnically, they were also religiously half-breeds. The, they had, they, these were descendants of, of the northern kingdom intermixed with Gentiles. The, in, the northern kingdom, remember when, they, when, when Solomon, uh, Solomon's son, they divi- after that they divided into to where Jeroboam was leading the south, Rehoboam was lead, leading the north, and they, they, they led them after, I get that back, I got that backwards. Jeroboam was the north, Jeroboam was the north. Uh, but anyways, they, 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 fell, they fell going after idols. They worshipped idols because they didn't want them to go to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And they exchanged this idea of worshipping God for, for worshipping the, these idols, these calves that were made uh, in place. And they continued this practice um, in that they worshipped a, a form of, of Judaism. They worshipped a form of, of God. And they it was the, they're worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they weren't following after what Moses had told them to do. And so the Jews didn't want to be any part of that because they were worshiping idols. They were worshiping, they would only worship the, they would only read the Torah and then only parts of the Torah that they wanted to read. They, they completely ignored the prophets and all that had come, come as a part of that. But even, now third, <clears throat> rabbinic law said that Samaritan women were, were perpetually unclean. You are not to touch anything that they touched. Um, you shouldn't have any type of contact. You definitely shouldn't be drinking after the same thing that they have. And they, this would have been unthinkable for a typical rabbi, but Jesus wasn't a typical rabbi. In verse 10, one of the, one of the core principles of evangelism is the idea of felt need. In short, a person can't act to correct a problem that they don't know that they have. Here, Jesus is introducing to the woman to the fact that she has a spiritual thirst that needs to be satisfied. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. His answer was, certain, was almost certainly not what the woman expected. Jesus' demeanor probably helped to ease her mind, even if she was a little unsure of who he was or what he was talking about. Jesus will again refer to the idea of living water in chapter 7. In both contexts, this is imagery suggesting the Holy Spirit. I would have given you what you needed so that you would stop thirsting, so that you stop seeking for what you are looking for in all these relationships that you're having. In verse 11, the woman Jesus is speaking to is not only a Samaritan woman, and a, but a lonely outcast who is, who is probably not well-educated in the Scriptures and even what the Samaritans read. And yet this verse shows that she has a certain level of courage and of wit, that she's willing to come to him and, and, and talk to him about, are, do, are you sure you know what you're asking? Do you, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Her answer suggests something very similar to Nicodemus' response to Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 4. Nicodemus grasped that there was symbolism in what Jesus was, was talking about, but did not fully understand it. 
Here the woman seems to recognize that Jesus speaks of something other than literal water. She realized, you don't have all the stuff that you need to get this, so what are you going to, how are you going to give me water? And she realizes, you're not talking about what I think you're talking about, are you? As verse 12 will show, she also recognizes that whatever Jesus means, he's making some grand claim about himself. This, this brings up something that we sometimes do when we look at Scripture. One thing, one thing that, that's a common mistake is that when we see something in the Scripture, we often assume that it's just a physical, worldly interpretation of some spiritual point. The Pharisees frequently make this mistake as they debate with Jesus in later chapters. And we often do the same thing too. We take a scripture and we assume that it's, that it's just talking about something physical that we need to do. When you look at the Ten Commandments, is it talking about, is it talking about the list of do's and do nots? Or is it talking about getting to the heart of the matter? And that's what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount that this was, this was about your hearts being changed. This, those, those commandments that Moses brought down from, from Mount Sinai was not about the, this list of do's or nots. That was, that was a physical manifestation of how your hearts should be changed. The, the second mistake comes in that we don't go back and ask for more information. We don't seek to see what is the Bible saying about this issue. How does Scripture support Scripture? This, this is a masterful text that was written over, over centuries, that was directed by the Holy Spirit. It speaks to itself over and over again. Are you looking to dive deeper into Scripture to see where, do, where else does it talk about this? Because the Bible, the Bible is filled with hyperlinks. It's like, a, it's like one of those really good websites that, that you see, and it, and, it, and it references itself, and it references over here and back and forth, and you can follow it throughout the, throughout the text and find what it's really talking about. And if you don't know what it's talking about, you read something and you think this is just a physical thing, it's not. There's, nothing, there's very rarely anything, anything in there um, that's just talking about this one physical thing. It's talking about a spiritual point. Let's look for those spiritual points so that we can get the living water. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus begins to unpack the concept of the water of life. Jesus starts by explaining the difference between the literal well water at the physical world, and living water, the Holy Spirit. No matter how hard we try, earthly things will never satisfy the natural human longing for God. Writers have noted that human nature is ultimately dissatisfied with material things. We, see, we seek those kinds of water because we're trying to quench a spiritual thirst. But only a reconciled relationship with God through salvation in Christ can solve the problem that our souls are longing for. We seek to be entertained because we're bored. We seek to, be, we seek to look for the next thing that's going to come up and, and gather our attention and be distracted by it. But is that not just a moment when your, hope, when your spirit wants to be silent and wants to, and wants to listen to God? Next time you feel that need to reach for a notification, think about it in terms of, of is, this, is this the Holy Spirit prompting me to, to instead listen to, to this next thing? When, you, when next time, little kids, when you want to pull out a Game Boy uh, or whatever the, whatever the current flavor is of the day, is, are you trying to be entertained or are you trying to, are you trying to um, 
you need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. Whatever it is, we, this part of what Jesus means, earthly water, is only a temporary solution. Whatever that is that you're trying to fill yourself with, it's only a temporary solution. Material things can never take the place of a relationship with God. Our ultimate purpose as created beings is to know, to serve, and to worship our Creator. Verse 15, whatever the real motivation of her statement here is, give me this water. The woman now asks Jesus to provide her with the water that he has been speaking of. And he gives it to her by convincing her of things that this stranger shouldn't know. He shouldn't know about my relationships back in the city. I've never met him before. And because of this, she is convinced that he is the source of the living water, and she wants to know more. But she doesn't want to just know more for herself. She wants to let her whole town know. She ends up bringing as many people as will follow her into the out, out to see Jesus because she wants to share this source of living water with those around her. Is living water in a, in a lake? Where, where, where do you get water that you want to drink from if you're out in the wilderness? Is it dead water that's just stagnant? Or living water? Living water that's flowing. If, I see, if you see a, a stagnant pond there, you'd better boil that water for hours, and then you're still not going to, it, almost till it's steam and it comes back. But if you get living water, you can, you can drink that after just a slight boil. You can get, bring it to boil and you can drink it. Because it's living water. It doesn't have all the things growing in it. Things are going to be living in that, like fish. When the, when, the fish can, when the fish can drink it, you know it's good. When we're here as Christians, we need to be like living water that allows living water to pour through us and to be able to be like the Samaritan woman. But what is this living water? We all know this expression of thirst. The burning sensation in our throats. When we start to get a little bit, when we start to get a little bit thirsty, our mouth starts to feel a little, a little parched. We, we start to having a little bit of trouble talking. We have dryness in our mouth. Uh, when you start to get a little more thirsty, you start to get a little bit of a headache. Uh, when you get even more thirsty, you start to get a little bit uh, lightheaded. And, and we get to that point, and this feeling becomes if we if we if our bodies recognize this need for thirst if it becomes acute how much more sensitive is our spiritual thirst we turn on a water faucet and it can remind us of our spiritual thirst what our souls long for what would bring us refreshment god calls us to acknowledge this thirst and to relieve it by drawing from the well of prayer our spiritual thirst might speak to our worries or the places where people need renewal they need hope and they need relief from suffering the woman at the well learned from jesus that a material thing such as water cannot give us lasting peace at best it can only give us temporary satisfaction by contrast faith in jesus christ an imitation of his example can be the source of lasting vitality for us and for those whose lives we touch. This water faucet that we see up here on the screen is a source of water in the midst of, you see behind it, it's all, it's all brown grass out behind it. But in the midst of where this water faucet lies, you see, you see flowers that are growing. 
the water brings forth life. Water and spiritual water, the living water, brings forth life in us. And it lets us continue to be able to grow and to flourish. Jesus clarifies what living water is uh, when he, in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39, when he's talking about, when he's presenting a message at the Feast of Booths. In verse, beginning in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. He says in, in verse 37, on this last day, that great day of the feast. Well, what was this feast? This feast was the, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, depending on what your heading may say up there at the top. They, they both mean the same thing. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, it's, it's Sukkot. Um, you find the, this background historically to this in Leviticus chapter 23. It comes five days after Yom Kippur. We know that as the Day of Atonement. And we see Yom Kippur as a, as a type, a picture of the death of Jesus, his redemption, his shed blood, his sacrifice as the Lamb of God. So five days after Yom Kippur, they hold this festival of tabernacles. The reason for that is they would commemorate their wilderness wanderings. After they were delivered by the Lamb out of Egypt, they walked through the Red Sea to salvation into the promised land, and they lived in little booths, little tabernacles. And they commemorate it by building these little huts for themselves that they lived in for seven days. It's a great festival of joy. Yom Kippur is a time of mourning. It's a time of commemoration, gratefulness for the, the salvation, but also remembering their sins. The festival of tabernacles was a feast. It was a time of great joy, of celebration and rejoicing. It lasted seven days, and every day during the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would go to the Pool of Siloam. They would take a grand procession with them, and they would draw water from the Pool of Siloam in a golden pitcher. In this golden pitcher, they would take it back from the Pool of Siloam and bring it back to the through the water gate to the, through the temple and pour it into a silver basin at the altar. Then every day of these seven days, he would take out that water, a large amount of water, and he would begin to pour it out from the temple into this, into this little basin. He, but the purpose of it was so that it would run, it would flow over. It would flow over out of that basin, down the temple steps, and it would run into the temple court and out to, through the precinct. While doing that, the people were, would recite scriptures, some of which we can find in Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Other parts we read in Isaiah were, were the main scriptures that would have come to people's minds as they, were, as they were saying was Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Just like making their little tents to commemorate the booths and the tabernacle, the water pouring commemorated how God supernaturally provided water for them from the rock through their wilderness drawings, that he was their source of salvation. For seven days, 
the water has been poured out. And the water is running down the, temps, the, the steps of the temple into the precinct. To that backdrop, Jesus cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He shouts this out over all the, over all the songs, over all the prayers that are being offered. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So here Jesus is standing in front of the temple and all that it enshrined. And the practice of pouring out the water, commemorating the temple, the dwelling place of God. And what is he saying? If any man thirst, let him come to me. And he is calling them to, and he is calling them to come to him. He is standing there as the rabbi from Nazareth saying, if you really are thirsty, you need to come to me. I am the rock I was the, that the water springs forth from. I was the springs of life in Genesis that wells forth from the ground. I am the source of the living water that the prophets told you about. Come to me and drink. Maybe your problem, though, is when you come to Jesus, is that the things that you're really thirsty for when you come to him to drink are really not what things are from God. Your desire and passions have, are, are for the wrong things. You've got the wrong desires. It's not that they're necessarily sinful. It's that they might be the wrong things. This was the problem of God's people throughout their history. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12, we read, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed, committed two evils. Here's the two evils they did. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They, they forsook God. They turned aside from him. And then their second one is that they hewed out cisterns for themselves. Cisterns are jars. Things meant to hold, hold large amounts of water. Tanks of, of water. They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God was willing to pour out upon them the fountains of living water, but they had forsaken God. They were looking for water themselves, and they were looking for it in all the, in all the idols that they were worshiping. They were looking for it in the ways that they would look for worship for themselves. They would craft themselves idols. They would worship their own things that they wanted to worship rather than, rather than searching after God. They would make for themselves rather than being the type of people that God wanted them to be. But what I'm trying to press on you now is this idea of passion and desire. That it's not in fact that that they are too great, that, they are, that your desires are too great, but that your desires are too weak. In most people, they don't realize thirst until you're becoming dehydrated. And often we confuse thirst with hunger. We, get, we don't understand what thirst is in our bodies. We, can, we confuse thirst for living water with boredom or a desire for something else. In our spiritual lives, we offer, often ignore our thirst for the living water because we confuse it with other wants. It is, in our time of worship, it's just another thing that we drink to satiate our thirst, or is it something that we use to quench it with the living waters of God? 
Do we try and satisfy eternal longings with a moment of pleasure? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells in the Beatitudes, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Are you, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty like David was, a man after God's own heart? David wasn't perfect, but he longed for God in the living water. In Psalm 42, he cries out, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Psalm 63 says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you, a dry and parched land where there is no water. Psalms 143, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Are you reaching for, the, for what quenches your thirst? The good news is, is that God is the quencher of thirst. In Revelation chapter 7, he says, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In Revelation 21, he says, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. In Revelation 22, the, the Spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amos says, here it prophesied of a time when, when there will be a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People, people will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And the way that you're not going to find it, you're here. There's not a famine. There, there's not a lack of food and a lack of the living water. It's are you surrounding yourselves in the right measure so that you can find it. If you're in a place where, where you're not putting yourselves in times of worship, where you're not building those times of encouragement from the body of Christ, then you are going to, you're going to be hungry and thirsty all the time. And you're going to find things. You're going to find those broken cisterns. You're going to build for yourself things and they're, they're not going to last. But God is that quencher of thirst. He calls you to come. In Isaiah 44, he promises a, t he promises a time. In Isaiah 44, he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings upon your descendants. Are you a thirsty land now? Are you a thirsty land that's ready to drink up the waters from the Holy Spirit? Are you allowing living water to flow through you to your neighbors, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your community, letting them see the living water living in you so that they can taste it also? Are you, are you willing to, to allow them to taste, partake of the, the, the living water? There's an old saying, the hardest work is not getting people saved. It's about getting them lost. Realizing that the hardest thing is not to satisfy thirst, but to make people feel a thirst for God. All men thirst, but not all realize that their thirst is really for God. Are you ready to let the, wit, the, the living waters pour out of you to a dry and weary land? 
We've gotten a lot of rain over these last few weeks in Abilene, but God still wants to pour out living water here in Abilene. He wants you to, he wants you to, to be the, the source of living water for those around you so that Jesus can, can be a blessing to all those around you. Are you thirsty for the living water? If you are, we'd like to help you through the study of God's Word. If, if we can pray for you, we'd love to do that. We'd love to help you feel surrounded by the community of God here, here in this place. If, if there's any way that we can pray for you, this is the time where you can come. You can come throughout this week, but you can also come now as we stand and sing this song of encouragement.